VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The Football Gods. Got vengeance on me, EJ, for talking shit about the Packers. They made me spill an entire double pour of Bushmills all over myself before we tried to record this the first time. It does happen. The uh, football gods do come back at those that are vengeful against the Packers. I should know. If, by the way, the reason why I poured a double is because if this godforsaken franchise gets three franchise quarterbacks in a row, if Jordan Love is good... I'm just walking off the balcony. I'm out. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. It's been 30 years, EJ. It's a long time, and we shall see. Hope springs eternal in Green Bay, but we'll talk about whether or not we think that's real or imagined. We will be fair in this episode, by the way. We we always are fair, even if we're sick of them being good. But we will be fair to the Packers. We're going to talk scheme. We're going to talk personnel. We're going to talk... Everything they've done in the offseason to once again be a thorn in the side of Chicago wins one and all. Uh, yeah, I got nothing else. Jay, roll the intro. Yeah! What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Bootleg Football Podcast. As you heard, it's Packers Day. Uh, We are spending an inordinate amount of time waxing poetic about everything right that unfortunately they have done over the last, I don't know, six months or so to get ready for the 2023 season. They had a good draft, Mm -hmm. even though some people were maybe less enthusiastic about it. It 100% made sense for what they needed. Um, I think if they're healthier, a lot of their issues from last year will be addressed, but there's a lot of information We're going to be dumping on you today. Uh, So if you're a Packers fan, you're going to love this show. If you're an an NFC North fan for another team, you might feel a a cold sense of dread coming on because maybe maybe the Wicked Witch isn't quite dead yet. But before we get into all that, EJ, buddy, how you doing? I'm good. I'm currently dry, unlike you. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we will be spending. It is Packers Day. We need to do it. Uh, we'll be fair. Like we're football fans. Packers have a lot of good football players. Um, yes, we're tired of quarterback dominance in the division and, and sort of the assumed preeminence that Packers fans have grown used to, but that doesn't mean we're not going to take an honest and objective look at this franchise this year and how after a major shift, they're either going to come back or not. So I'm good. Uh, we should launch into what they were last year, even though we know that's not what they're going to be this year. In 2022, uh, they were eight and nine overall. They were third in the NFC North. They were five and four at home, 
three and five on the road, fairly balanced. And they did make a run at the end. They were four and one in their last five games. So one of those franchises that typically historically kind of positions themselves for a bit of a bump the next year. Obviously, there's a lot of qualifiers for that in Green Bay. But overall, about what you saw on the field, they were mid-pack, mid-pack and record, mid-pack home, mid-pack away, uh, you know, and had a little bit of a surge at the end of the year. One of the things we're adding this year for these divisional summaries and team summaries is something called an effectiveness summary. And we're using the baseline of EPA per play as our major stat for that. We're breaking it down into offense, both rushing and passing, defense, stopping the run and stopping the pass, and then scoring because scoring is super important too. How many points they scored and how many points they let get scored against them. Then we're going to take those six numbers and average them up and give them something called a bootleg power score that we've invented to really see how good they were at doing things you need to do to be a good football team. So last year, the Packers rushing offense was 10th in the league. Mm -hmm. The passing offense in terms of EPA per play was 16th in the league, almost exactly mid-pack. Against the run, here's the rub, 28th in the NFL. They struggled to stop the run, and that's not news to any Packers fans who watched all their games. In terms of pass defense and coverage, they jump all the way up to almost top 10. They were 11th in the NFL against the pass in terms of coverage. That's pretty solid when you look at those four numbers combined, and yeah, their finish becomes a little bit less surprising when you look at that overall. In terms of points scored, 370 points. That was good enough for 14th, and 371 allowed, which was good enough for 17th, giving them a point differential of negative one over the entire season. I don't think anybody else is that narrow. Even the Vikings, I don't think are that narrow. There's one. Who? That's, that's plus one. I don't remember, but it's probably Minnesota. Right. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> Minnesota. Anyway. Just bizarro Packers, yeah. Right, bizarro <laughs> Packers and the Vikings. So when we look at this Packers team, which has gone through significant changes, and we'll talk about all those coming up, you see a very middle-of-the-pack team, with the exception of rush defense, was right down near the bottom of the league. They really did struggle. But everything else, everything from around 10th to you know the lowest outside that 28th score for rush defense, 17th for points allowed, this is a very middle-of-the-road Packers team. They, I would say, didn't underachieve. They didn't overachieve. They just sort of achieved right in the middle. All of that adds up to a bootleg power score of 16th. Now, again, the bootleg power score is those six ranks in the league averaged out. And again, you get a very average score right down the middle with the Packers in 16th. And that sort of, for me, passes the eye test of what we saw on the field in 2022. It's an eight and nine team that very easily could have won double digit games, but also very easily could have won six. Yeah. And I think they were... They were the definition of mid. Yes. And I think there's a lot of Packers fans that thought they were awful because they're not used to what an awful team actually is. It's like, no, you were mid. Yeah. You were mid. And there was a lot of reasons for that. And they addressed a lot of those reasons, too, by the way. Like, they had a good offseason. Um, but let's be real. They were neither good nor bad. They just existed. That's and right. when we saw them live in Buffalo going up against like an actual powerhouse. Mm -hmm. They were getting blown off the field. And then Josh Allen did Josh Allen things and gave away the ball. And, and they kind of gave him a backdoor coming back into that game. But like, that's what a mid team looks like when they're going up against a top five team, right? Your weaknesses become very pronounced. And they had 
they had some pretty rough weaknesses. Now, in terms of uh, schematic stats, and we, we pull these for every single team to kind of give context to the overall numbers and the power score. Uh, we, we have uh, coverage stats, we have blitz stats, we have run game stats, we have pass game stats. And these really detail the schemes that they want to be, which not only gives context to the overall numbers, but also to the moves they made this offseason. So last year, if we're just looking at coverage between the 20s, because red zones are kind of their own thing, just between the 20-yard lines, they were sixth in zero. They called a lot of zero, relatively speaking, at 3.1%. That's a lot of cover zero. More than most defensive coordinators are comfortable with because that means on 3.1% of all your plays, you could be liable to give up a touchdown on one play. So a lot of a lot of coaches don't do that. They, they kind of, you know. It's a high gambling They, they were on a knife's edge yeah. uh, on a lot of third downs there. Uh, cover one, they didn't do a whole lot of single high safety man coverage looks. They were at 14.7%. That's 27th in the league. Even though they do have corners that we think of as good in man coverage, they were dealing with a lot of durability issues last year, a lot of injuries last year. So I never really feel like they got to call that as much as maybe they would have if everybody was healthy. Uh, cover two. Also, we're not a big cover two team. You know, we talked about the Bears yesterday. They, they love cover two. Uh, Packers, not so much. 5.7%. It's 27th in the league. Uh, cover three. They were a slightly above average at about 36.1%. A lot of teams run it way more than that, up into the 40s and the 50s. Cover three is the most common coverage in the NFL by far. Um, quarters. This is where we start to get into the Vic Fangio tree influences with Joe Barry because he spent some time with the Rams and then all of a sudden came out a, a Vic Fangio disciple. Uh, quarters, 16.6%. Doesn't seem like a lot, but relative to the NFL, that's a lot of quarters at about 10th overall in the NFL. Sorry for the MotoGP race going on outside the window, by the way, if you hear. Sounds good to me. Some motorcycle just tearing ass down 8th Street. Uh, quarter, quarter, half. This one was also really, really Hot. heavily influenced by the Vic Fangio scheme. 13.1%. Again, doesn't seem like a lot, but that's a lot relative to the NFL. Eighth overall in quarter, quarter, half. So overall, looking at how they want to call this defense... They want to live a lot in quarters, uh, in key downs and distances. They want to live in quarter, quarter, half when they're you know presented with trips and stuff like that. Um, on early downs, they're going to play a lot of cover three so they can fit the run. But on pass downs, it's, it's a lot of Fangio type stuff. The hard part with that is you got to have the right dudes to run it. And if you're dealing with injuries, both on the back end and on the front end, you can't really get away with it. And there was a lot of games, especially in the back half of the year when they were really banged up, uh, middle and back half of the year when they were banged up, that they couldn't call that defense and they just didn't really adjust and they got blown off the field a couple times because of that. Yeah, and when we tie these two together, again, you're, the reason to call cover three is to stop the run. Mm -hmm. and they call cover three right in the middle at, 14, at 14th overall in terms of league rank. But we talked about their overall... EPA against the run being 28th. Yeah. So they're calling it and it's happening at a reasonable rate, but they're not having the success. So you have to stay in it because teams are going to try and force you out of it. And when you can't get the stop, you're just going to have to keep calling it. And that's not how you want that progression to go, especially in a Fangio defense, right? You want to call cover three to get yourself into 
quarter, quarter, half or true quarters. And they just weren't able to get that effectiveness to stop the run, especially later in the season when they were suffering through injury. So like they had their plan and they tried to execute it, but it didn't always work the way they wanted to, especially on early downs. Also, you can stop the run in quarters. And I think this is also partially where the, the run defense APA was bad. You can stop the run in quarters if you have the guys. Yes. They didn't have the guys. And so a lot of the big plays they were giving up in the run game, and you know, we talked about their pass game big plays they were, when they would bust in quarter, quarter, half. The big plays in the run game, a lot of times they were giving up was when they were in straight up quarters. Because uh, it's you fit the run a lot differently when you're in quarters compared to in a single high safety look. Um, and it's also a much different fit than when you're in cover two. Not all two high safeties looks are the same in terms of fitting the run. Quarters is very different. In 2021, they were very good at it in terms of fitting the run from quarters. In 2022, when you don't have Rashawn Gary on the field, because the edge players play a huge role in stopping the run from quarters, when you don't have Gary on the field, you can't do it. Uh, you know, it's Kenny Clark versus the world then. And, and I love Kenny, but he can't do it all by himself. You know, Devondre dropped off. It's They tried to run the scheme they wanted to run. They just didn't have the guys to do it. Um, now, speaking of Rashawn Gary not being on the field, completely screwing them, <laughs> looking at their blitz percentages on third downs, again, between the 20-yard lines because red zone is his own thing. Third and short, they they brought extra bodies a lot. They were a big fire zone team on short yardage because they wanted to get uh, safeties and nickels and, and, you know, they wanted to get guys in the backfield. Um, third and medium, they didn't really blitz at all. It was about 14.3%. That was 29th in the league. Because again, Vic Fangio tree, oh, we can win with four. We can do it. It's like, well, without Gary, <laughs> you didn't play after like week eight or nine. Like you didn't come back the rest of the year. Uh, no, you can't. Not you know, as well. When, it's, when your best edge rusher on the field is Preston Smith, and I love Preston. He's Robin. He's not Batman, right? And then you got Kenny, who again, it's Kenny and then Kenny (laughs) on the interior. So they didn't have the dudes to win with four. So their low blitz percentage, I think, was was a huge hindrance to their pass rush because they just never really got off that. Um, Third and seven also didn't really blitz that much. 28.1%. That was 22nd. Here's the kicker. Because they wanted to rush with four a lot. Their stunt percentage, you know, we talked yesterday with Chicago. They were stunting like crazy. Mm Mm-hmm because they were just trying to create angles and create seams and do whatever they could to get pressure. Green Bay's stunt percentage overall on third downs was 29.1%. That's 30th. They were very content to just line up and say, go win. But without Gary on the field, they couldn't do it. And they never adjusted. They never changed. They never did anything to try to create more pressure. Everything was put on the back end of you guys win with coverage and we'll eventually get there. But they couldn't do it. Again, their pass EPA was fine. It was a little above average at like 11th or something like that. But if you're looking at how their defense actually functioned, it's like, can we get people off the field? You know, can in situation like situational football, can we win when we absolutely need to win up front? They couldn't do it. And that translated to them being a very mid, at best, unreliable and nauseatingly frustrating defense at worst because they wanted to call their scheme. They didn't have the guys to do it. 
and for whatever fucking reason, they never adjusted. Yeah, the never adjusted part hurts because the onus of getting defensive stops shifted to those outside corners. Mm -hmm. And they have very good outside corners, luckily, because we see other teams. When they're healthy, by the way. Right. You see other teams that same thing. They lose the ability to pass rush. They don't necessarily adjust. Therefore, that pushes the onus onto the secondary. And those dudes aren't good enough. And then, really, the whole team falls apart. They were able to hold the line pretty well, considering, but it was still frustrating. And I'm sure frustrating to Packers fans who are used to a much higher standard from the defense and just, again, couldn't end drives, couldn't get guys off the field. Are they used to a higher standard at this point? A little bit. (laughs) A little bit. Um, and you know, we were super hopeful about Rashawn Gary. I, I had him as, I think my preseason prediction for defensive MVP of this division. Like I, I thought he might be in run for defensive player of the year. He felt like he was in a spot. Look, injuries are fickle. It didn't happen. He got half a year. That's never really going to win you an award. Um, but the effect combined with the inability or unwillingness of the coaching staff to adjust led to a sort of overall product that was mid, was very, you did okay. And I think that those numbers right there, the blitz percentages really tell you, and everybody saw it coming from a mile away, really tell you why they took Lucas Van Ness in the first round. Because they're like, we we have to. to be able to yeah. win with four. They will not call what they don't want to call. They have their system. They're going to run their system. And so they want a three-headed monster. They can't do it without a three-headed monster because if somebody goes down, they're toothless. So that that pick made a lot of sense. And to be honest, I like the pick a lot. Like, I love Lucas Van Ness as a player. But everybody knew that was coming because they do what they do. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not going to change. Uh, now, in terms of their rushing offense, no surprise. Like, we know that they're, they're an outside zone heavy team, and they've been an outside zone heavy team for a while now. They were fifth in calling outside zone at 36%. They were a little bit, uh, a little bit above average in inside zone and 13%, um, which is really telling you, okay, when Aaron Jones is on the field and when A.J. Dillon is on the field, like, they call different stuff. Um, you know, A.J. Dillon's kind of the, the pounder of inside zone. Aaron Jones, they call more outside zone. Uh, duo... Uh, or, you know, man blocking schemes. They were very low at 24th. That's just not what they do. They're more of a zone team. Power, they were at 30th. Counter, which is something that they also called a lot with Aaron Jones. Uh, They're 15th, so about average there. Uh, 1% draw rate, which, yeah, your quarterback's 37, 38. You're probably not going to call that very often. Uh, And then pin and pull. The umbrella of pin and pull. Uh, They were third at 14%, which... There's a lot of, you know, from where we're pulling these numbers, there's a lot of pin and pulls that I think like you could consider counter and there's some that get called counter that I would consider more like. Anyway, I'm not going to get too in the weeds on it, but overall in terms of when they're pulling linemen either on counter or on like G lead or something like that, like overall it makes up um, about 20% of their runs and typically that's going to be with Aaron Jones. So it's a pretty significant chunk. They use those as the counter punch, no pun intended, for um, when teams get into what's called a tilt front. Uh, Coach Vass, who's the closest thing to a mentor that I have in terms of understanding defensive football, please go follow Coach Vass. 
Uh, he's done extensive work on tilt fronts, which Vic Fangio made famous in 2018 when he was with the Bears and absolutely obliterated the Rams uh, with just putting six guys in the line of scrimmage, covering every single gap and saying, go ahead, run zone. I fucking dare you. And nobody could do it. Uh, well, the counters counter the Packers counter to that when everybody's up on the line of scrimmage playing those tilt fronts, which is like six and then one linebacker is, okay, we're going to pull guys and we're going to pin you here. And then we're going to get a hat on a hat outside and we're going to gash you. So um, again, just cat and mouse there between offensive and defensive minds. Looking at their run game, I don't think it's going to change at all. I think they're going to do the exact same thing as last year. And it's probably still going to work because they have a great backfield. They're going to be able to run 12 and 13 and 21 personnel all day long. I don't think this they're going to get into 11 often if they can help it. And they're going to have a very diverse, very effective run game. And they're going to lean on that as much as possible because Jordan Love needs them to. It feels like, if anything, it's going to be more. Mm -hmm. Right? Just more of everything. In terms of the balance, I'm with you. I don't believe the balance will shift noticeably because we didn't see that again in personnel acquisition. Uh, there's nothing that sort of signals, oh, we want to go away from this. And they're going to have to do it more to support a young, and by young, I mean young in playing time quarterback in Jordan Love. They're going to need their backs to hold more of the load, which means you're just going to see all of this in roughly the same share, but just increase the volume. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of pounding with AJ Dillon. Um, I think they're going to get uh, Christian Watson involved a lot with like the jet sweep game and everything like that. And then Aaron Jones is going to be Aaron Jones. Cause he's Aaron Jones like there. I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers run the ball more than anybody else this year there. I think they're going to be top five. Yeah. Now uh, passing offense. We think this is going to stay mostly the same. Mm -hmm. I would say, uh, you know, maybe a couple tweaks here and there for play action percentage uh, for Jordan love just to help him out. But overall, I think this is going to be roughly the same. Uh, they ran play action 16th most in the league last year. They're at least going to be that, like I said, maybe a little bit higher. Uh, average time to throw. So Aaron got it out quick last year at 2.72 seconds per throw. It's 11th mm -hmm. fastest in the league. I don't know if Jordan Love is going to pull the trigger that quickly, but if he is, this offense is still going to be just fine um, because I think getting out quickly is going to be a premium for him. And, you know, letting Christian Watson take off and run and letting his running backs do stuff in space. Like, the longer he's holding the ball, uh, the worse sign that's going to be. So if he's just at least close to that, they're going to be fine. Air yards percentage. They were 29th in air yards. They really didn't throw down the field. Or rather, 29th in percentage of their passing offense that was through the air. Um, meaning they were, what, second or third in terms of total percentage of yards that were after the catch. They really need to get better at that in terms of using Watson's speed down the field, using dubs down the field, using Reed down the field. Like they have a bunch of guys that are fast. Mm -hmm. I would like to see them really stretch their legs a little bit more and not, not work the five to 10 yard area as much as they did last year. And I get it. They had young guys, Aaron's Aaron. They were trying to get people acclimated, but like they, they got to take more shots or they're not going to keep up. Even though the NFC is weaker, like they're not going to be able to keep up with the good NFC teams unless they throw the ball down the field. So hopefully Jordan Love is more aggressive in that area. Average depth of target, 
they were 13th. So uh, again, would like to see that go a little bit higher. Um, big time throw percentage, they were second because when Aaron did let it go, he's still Rodgers. Yeah. Uh, and we're when we get to the Jets episode, we'll expand more on Rodgers from 2022. But like, he's still accurate. He still has a great arm. He just didn't throw it deep as much as I really thought he should have last year. Uh, and overall, that led to a yards per attempt of 6.9, which was tied with the Bears, who we talked about as having a really shitty passing offense yep. last year. The Packers weren't much better. Are they going to be better overall with Jordan Love? We don't know. But I do think that the shift to Jordan Love is necessary because it just wasn't working anymore. And eventually they had to find out what love is. And if he just comes out there and just starts ripping it deep for better or for worse, that will be good for them because they'll at least find out what he can do. But like they have to get more aggressive. They have to throw down the field a lot more. They have to get explosive plays with something other than yards after catch or they're just going to get run off the field over and over and over again. Again. Yeah, I can see a lot of shifts coming to the Packers offense. Play action percentage probably goes up a little bit. That's what you said. Average time to throw. If it's the same, I think average depth of target is going to drop because he's going to be throwing quick, but he's going to be throwing short. And then commensurately, they're going to be counting on those yards after the catch and not taking deeper shots because stands to reason, especially with a younger quarterback, if you are taking deeper shots, it's going to take longer. I think it depends on the type of deep ball. It does. Because when, okay, fine. We'll we'll, we'll really get in the weeds on this because there are some numbers that I think don't quite match up Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, average depth of target versus air yards percentage versus time to throw. All those don't seem like they make sense together. Yeah. But when you look at when Aaron did go deep, which wasn't super often, it was on go balls down the boundary, which are a throw where it's, Catch it, two steps, either it's there or not, and you're getting rid of it. Yep. Go balls down the boundary actually are a very quick throw. It should when, be. When people think of long developing, taking shots down the field, that's more like hard play action. I'm sitting there. I'm waiting for like a corner post or like a deep yep. cross or something like that. But most deep throws for this specific offense were the quick stuff. It's catch it. Does Watson have position or not? Step, yep. Um, and it was very different than than the Eagles, where like Jalen Hurts was like, "Eh, fuck it, AJ's got this," you know. Uh, whereas Rodgers was like, "I'm not throwing it unless I see you've got him," you know. So that's why some of those numbers maybe don't make sense together. But if you're looking at the tape in terms of how they went deep, it does, and that's what I'm saying. Is I really want Jordan Love to specifically on those go balls down the boundary. Trust him. Trust. Christian Watson, just let it go. Yeah. Give him a shot. Cause if you're sitting there and and you're not giving him a chance, then why why do we have him? You know, why are we using yeah. him? This balance is gonna be, I think, one of the key things for the Packers offense. And and as the Packers offense go, probably so goes the team this year. So really one of the key storylines for Green Bay overall is how quickly they start to loosen the reins on Jordan Love. Like we know they're going to try and make him comfortable early, early in games and certainly early in the season. 
They're going to basically scheme him some completions to get him in rhythm and then open it up. But like, how quickly does that happen? And how much do they turn the dial? How fast before he's really like opening up balls to Christian Watson down the field? Because I know they want that connection to develop. But like, how quickly do we see that? as opposed to them sort of guarding him and keeping that confidence up and saying, hey, we're getting you established, we're getting some timing and rhythm, and then either later in games or later in the season, we're going to open up the playbook a little bit, we're going to get deeper, we're going to do some things that are more two and three step in terms of plays, not necessarily two and three step drops, but two and three progressions throughout the play, and some of them being deeper and later developing. Like How quickly does that trust develop? And if we see that really early in the season, with Jordan Love and it's working, that's a great sign for the Packers. Now, not speaking from a Bears perspective, but speaking from a Packers perspective because their first game is in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. And I have to imagine Tyreek Stevenson's going to be on the field. Likely. First NFL game. Even though we know they're going to spend most of the year in 12, 13, 21 personnel. Come out in 11. Try to get Tyreek alone. On one of these guys that runs four 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 three, sure, and just say Jordan, go fuck it, just take a shot. Yeah, you know it's like it's like a you know a running back is like oh I need to get hit first before I'm really in the game. Jordan, take a shot, for better or worse, get in the game, just take it. You know because yeah. once you once you let it go and you're what you're four in your career, once you let it go, for better or worse, you're in the game. Take the shot. And it's who else to do it other than the, a rookie in their first game, right? Well, we're going to see that what really the coaching staff's tolerance for risk is because it is the first game of the year. We always know plenty of weird stuff happens in week one every year. Oh, every year. Every year. Yeah. But like the reward if he hits Christian Watson down the boundary for a 50-yarder in the first quarter in Chicago is huge, mm-hmm. right? The risk, if his first deep go ball gets picked off by a rookie, oh, shut it down. <laughs> and yeah. I, we'll see what they're ta- when I say they're tolerance for risk. That's what I'm talking about. Like it's a huge risk reward proposition in a not typically a time you think about that in the NFL season. Risk, risk reward week one. It's week one. We've got 16 more games. Relax. Nobody's winning anything in the first week, but you can lose some stuff in the first week. You can yeah. lose quarterback confidence. You can lose, you know, fan confidence against a rival. Oh, this is the way it's going to go. Like that can be kind of a turning play really early on. So we'll see if they're comfortable with that or if they're going to kind of ease them into that and say, hey, we'll, we'll take a couple of those shots, but it's going to be a third quarter. It's going to be the fourth quarter once we've seen their stuff, once we've made some adjustments, once we've sort of felt out their new personnel along the defensive line and we're more comfortable, like, they have a very experienced offensive staff and I can see them doing that. Um, If they do it right off, like they feel real solid about Jordan Love and his confidence and his place in the offense and everything else. If you see like two deep shots in the first two quarters where he he just lets it go, regardless, if he just lets it go, they've let him off the chain. They're like, he's running. We're comfortable with what he can do. So it'll be fascinating to monitor that, not only in the first game, but really all through the season. The weight of that week one game is not lost on anybody because, and it's, God, the NFL did no favors for Jordan Love putting that game week one because of the legacy that Rodgers left yeah. in Chicago. 100%. Like, that's a dude who's, you know, doing the belt and screaming at fans, I own you. And he was right. Correct. 
factually so, correct. To put that game week one, yep. it's like, all right, Jordan, go do that. What do you got? It's it's unfair, but like also necessary. And God, it's good TV. Yeah, it's it's a welcome to the NFL moment, right? Welcome to your NFL starting quarterback moment where everybody knows you're going to be the starter. Everybody's expecting it all the way through the offseason. Here you are. Bright lights, big city. I, I know the rivalry has been really tarnished over the last decade, to say the, the least, because it hasn't been balanced and good rivalries are balanced. It's been all in favor of Green Bay. But there's, you know, there's responsibility to carry that on from the fans, from national perspective, whatever else. And you can really set a narrative. You hit a couple of those. OK, kids got something. You throw a couple picks on those. Oh, boy, they made a mistake. They shouldn't have moved on. Like the narrative changes really, really quickly. Uh, speaking of that rivalry, by the way, I was looking at their coaching and power structure. Um, and I'll, I'll let you go through the front office and the coordinators and everything like that. Every time I see the name Buckkiss on the Green Bay staff, yes. I have to do a double take. Like, it's it just true. doesn't seem possible. And yet here, Luke Buckkiss is traitor to the cause sitting there coaching the Packers offensive line. I always line. feel like it's one of those movies oh. where somebody goes, oh, by marriage, right? It's like <laughs> nephew, not son, nephew. It's my brother's kid or whatever it is. Uh, but GM, Brian Gutekunst, um, you know, decided really. And the Packers power structure overall is a little bit different than other teams uh, in terms of their president having a little bit more sway um, into the football side. But... Goody's the guy that gets to make this call. And the organization was done with Aaron Rodgers. They were ready to move both to find out what they had in Jordan Love to sort of be positive about it and look towards the future. But also, we're not going to do the Favre thing again. We're going we're gonna to move from that a little bit earlier, not a lot earlier. Um, that would have been two years ago. And say, no, it's time for you to get a fresh start. We're going to get our fresh start. We're going to figure out what we need to figure out about our young quarterback. That's a that's a gutsy call. Um, and then really continued on um, drafting the way the Packers have drafted, right? Not a surprise. Um, Matt LaFleur has obviously had a tremendous start to his head coaching career. A lot of that is, I would say, on him. He's earned that, right? He came into a situation that wasn't always necessarily easy and held his own and made Aaron change. Uh, even Aaron said I wasn't with it in the beginning and then I came to it and saw that it would work and, you know, basically adapted and said, yeah, this is cool and got on board. It's not an easy thing to do. I give LeFleur a lot of credit for that, but he also had Aaron Rodgers on the field when yeah. things broke down. That's one of the best arms we've seen in the NFL ever. Um, he's got a good young player in terms of physical skill set to mold let's see what you got coach you you got your work cut out for you this year um you cannot rely on a hall of famer to make some bad plays look good can you in your coaching and communication make that look good with jordan love now for coordinators and in this case uh the packers are one of those teams that have one of their coordinators labeled as an assistant head coach mm -hmm. that's rich basasha who was the interim coach of the raiders after gruden was fired moved over to the Packers the next year to become the special teams coach. He is also the assistant head coach. The new OC, Adam Stenovich, um, we will see. He's got, again, new pieces um, that we think he's going to try and continue uh, 
to put a lot of the same tendencies in play. I think formations will shift again based on how they drafted, but what they want to run out of those formations will be similar, both run and pass. Uh, and then DC, Joe Barry, we talked about him a little bit, um, you know, having become a Fangio disciple and wanting to stick with his stick with his plan. He wants to run what he wants to run and he wants the guys to do it. He certainly has had that conversation with Goody and said, I'm going to do my thing. You better get me some guys to do it. Goody seems to have listened based on how they drafted, but that's the sort of top five in the Green Bay power structure um, and how they shake out. In terms of notable coaches on offense, you mentioned one, Luke Butkus is their offensive line coach. And yes, the nephew of Hall of Fame, Jake Buckus. <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think immediate family would be allowed at Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly got to be tense. Uh, but Buckus deserves a lot of credit. His units are typically top in the NFL, and he does not always start with premium groceries. Right, the Packers famously will draft players in the middle rounds or the late rounds and have them develop into longtime starters, and it happens all the time. That's not an accident. That is a reflection of very good coaching. Um, so we'll give Buckus his flowers for that. Tom Clements, the quarterback coach. Look, this is NFL coaching royalty. Mm -hmm. um, the list of QBs he's developed and mentored is too long to list, literally. Um, cool thing about Tom Clements, he is also a CFL Hall of Famer, MVP, and multiple-time Grey Cup champion himself. The, the Aaron Rodgers of the CFL. He is the Aaron <laughs> Rodgers of the CFL, except with more championships. Uh, <laughs> Packers fans are just leaving. I'm going to look at our watch time tomorrow. And yeah, it's going to drop right there. It's clip. precipitous. <laughs> uh, have ultimate respect for Tom Clements and the names, the list of quarterbacks he's mentored is a who's who in the last 20 years in the NFL. It is exceptional. And if Jordan Love has the softest landing spot possible, he's got a quarterback-friendly head coach and one of the best quarterback coaches in the league. If he falls flat, it's largely going to be on him. He's got weapons. He's got, as we said, a very good offensive line in front of him. Um, lots and lots of things to ease this transition to full-time starter. Uh, on defense, Jerry Montgomery is the defensive line uh, coach and running game coordinator. That is a, a mix we see pretty commonly in the NFL. Again, um, run defense coordinator. I should. That, when people hear running game coordinator, they think of offense. He's coordinator of the run defense. The run defense fits. Yeah. <laughs> Again, Packers draft very heavily, invest very heavily there in free agency as well. Um, but we typically see players develop in that system and mm -hmm. play quite well. Rashawn Gary being just the latest example. Packers fans have a lot of hope for guys they drafted a couple of years ago that are now have been in that pipeline and understand and they're expecting them to blossom. So we said sort of three-headed monster, maybe four if they're lucky. Uh, but one of the top coaches on their staff. And then Kirk Olivadotti is the inside linebackers coach. Again, has very good success um, and develops very talented players out of not necessarily super high draft picks, guys that were sometimes cast offs in other organizations. Um, he's going to have to He's going to have to coach his ass off this year too because that defensive line looks better. But uh, as we saw last year right across the way in Chicago – if you don't have a defensive line and you don't have linebackers, yeah, mm, you're still going to give up the run. It's too much yeah. for the rest of the defense to overcome. Now, when we said earlier that we think the Packers are going to be, if not the highest percentage run team, at least top five, a big reason for that is because Adam Stenovich is, you know, he's a, a run game coordinator. Like that's what he was with the Packers before he got the overall OC job. 
uh, last year. He took it over in 2022. Um, his background in particular as offensive line coach and run game coordinator tells me all I need to know about what they're really, and especially looking at the draft. Well, what are they doing? They're taking big bodies with tight ends and everything. Like that. <laughs> tells me everything I need to know. Like this team is going to run the shit out of the ball and they're going to be good at it. Yep. They're, they've always been good at it, but this year in particular, I think they're going to lean into it more than ever. And it's not a statement about Jordan love. I, th- I just think they're going to do it because they can. And I think it's going to be, and it's a smart, frustrating offense to to defend, really. And it's a smart way to go with a young quarterback. Regardless of how good you feel about that, I don't know that it makes a ton of sense for any young quarterback. I mean, look at Justin Herbert, mm-hmm. a very talented young quarterback. It doesn't make a ton of sense in year one. Like he's going into year what, three, four? Herbert? Uh, yeah. Four. He's going into year four, yeah. right? But in year one, think back to when he was a rookie. Does it make a ton of sense to go, okay? Here's the keys to the castle. Everything's on you. Go for it. Like, that's not a great strategy for a young passer to bring him along. If you are good at running the football, if you have coaches that are really experienced in designing run games, yeah, lean on the run game and then say, hey, we need you to hit some shots and we expect you to. But it's not just, hey, man, you're going to be airing it out 40 times a game and be accurate and throw deep. And that's just not a winning formula for success with a young quarterback. The last time I saw it work with... Uh, got rookie Joe Burrow 2020, I think was Joe Burrow's rookie year, where like they're going empty and he's throwing it like it all 45 times yeah. and it worked, right? Because it's Joe. It's Joe, right? Yeah. We don't have that kind of expectation toward love. Doesn't mean he can't be a great player, but it's more so like Joe Burrow's rare. Everybody else, you bring along the normal way. Yeah. Um, and Aaron Jones is really good. Yeah, why not give him the Highlights your good player. Yeah. It's like it seems simple, but you know, sometimes that gets lost in the weeds. Now, given all of that information, uh, you know, we have talked extensively about Jordan Love um, and what he brings to the table. Again, he does have great arm talent. He does have mobility. Weirdly enough, when he was at Utah State, could not throw a fade to save his life. But it's been four years. That's right. And he has a great quarterback coach. We've seen other quarterbacks make improvements, leaps and bounds um, in less time. So I'm willing to see what he's what he can do this year on that throw. That was like the one reason I didn't have him super high in the draft. I was like, I don't know, I can't throw deep outside the numbers. It's kind of a weird thing. But again, it's been a long time since then. Yeah. But given all that information, knowing how much talent he has as a player, I do find it interesting that people still kind of assume he's going to fail. And, and maybe that's because he's inevitably going to be compared to Aaron and anything's going to look like a failure by comparison. But like I'm looking at, uh, for instance, where he's going in fantasy drafts. Like if we're doing uh, best ball drafts over on underdog right now, he's going as QB 20, which seems low to me. Yeah. Um, this is an offense that historically has been really efficient. He's going to get a lot of red zone appearances and maybe people are, are thinking that they're not going to, give him opportunities to throw in the red zone and then it's all going to be run, 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 which is possible. Again, we just talked about how much they're going to run the ball. Sure. Given how efficient we know this offense is and how hard they're going to be to get off the field, I still have to think that the man who the entire passing game for an efficient offense will be funneled through is going to be better than QB 20. And he has a lot of weapons. He has a lot of speed to work with. He will, again, be in scoring position a lot. 
this offense is going to be fine. More than fine. They're going to be good. It just doesn't make sense that there are quarterbacks who I deem to be in much worse situations right. that are going ahead of him right now. And I, I just think it's a lot of people that, whether they expect it or they hope for it, right. they just assume he's going to fail. And I don't, I don't know. It doesn't quite sit with me considering the talent that's around him. Yeah, it feels a little low to me, but not a lot low. It does feel low because he has good running ability. I mean, I know we just talked about all the reasons that you might draft him at 20 is they're going to have a super strong run game. He's going to be handing it off a lot. They might not take the reins off, but he's going to make up for some of that with his own legs. He's much more capable scrambling than Aaron really kind of ever was. Aaron was an efficient runner and a good athlete, but... Not what I wasn't Jordan Love. Not what I would call a threat runner, and Jordan can be. Um, He has a very good arm. His receiving core has been increased not only for the receivers but the tight ends, and he gets credit for all of that. Um, So it feels low to me, but it's like a little low. I would say like fifteenth to eighteenth would be like, yeah, that feels real solid. Above that, you think he's going to be real good, real quick? Okay. Um, I don't know that I'm willing. That seems a little bit too rich for me. So it feels low, but like a little low. I think 20, just with his ability all the way around, that sort of all around ability, a little low. Yeah, I just think with mobility, especially when it comes to like fantasy, like taking real football aside, when mm-hmm. it comes to fantasy, like mobility is everything for quarterback. Yes. He's got that, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just odd, especially like when you look at uh, Christian Watson, how he's seen, he's going as wide receiver 20 on underdog right now, which is you know, solid to okay. you know, wide receiver too, but it's like, okay, so we expect Christian Watson to be a top 20 receiver, but we expect Jordan Love to be QB 20. That just doesn't, doesn't it's quite like people jive. only expecting him to throw to Christian Watson and nobody else. Like, does that mean that Reed's not getting drafted at all? Which honestly, Reed isn't getting drafted in a lot of leagues. Yeah. Um, it means that nobody's touching dubs, means nobody's touching um, Luke Musgrave, who, by the way, is going to be the starting tight end week one. Yep. And he's, Super big, super athletic, really nifty route runner. He's going as tight end 31. I'm like, what? Like, just by the nature of the offense that he's in, it's a very tight end friendly offense. He's going as TE 31, even as a rookie. I don't know. People just, I think they're underrating the offense overall. And it's so odd to me. Um, like I get it. They were painfully mid last year, but they addressed a lot of their issues. The only players that I think are quote unquote appropriately valued are the running backs. You know, Mm -hmm. Jones is going at RB 16 and Dylan's going at RB 33. Yep. But even then, like if you told me Aaron Jones is finishing as a top 10 back because they're going to run the absolute shit out of the ball, even that might be slightly low for him too. So Overall, other than Christian Watson, everybody on the Packers offense is being super undervalued to me. And that kind of pisses me off because now I know for a fact they're going to be good. (laughs) Yeah, it does seem kind of to me like a wait and see cooling, right? It's like Hall of Famer left. We're just going to see what they do before we do anything. And then people are going to try and trade for those folks midseason if they get hot and whatever. Oh, else. August and preseason. Like, oh, the, the hype train is going to be insane. Like, if he has a good preseason, all these guys are going to jump up by, like, three rounds. Yeah, and Musgrave is probably the one that surprises me the most out of those because 31, like, they're not 
31 tight ends. Tight ends make their money in fantasy receiving, right? Yeah. You don't get points for blocking. And I know Mercedes Lewis has been the featured tight end and is because he is a great blocker. A lot of air quotes on that. Yeah. <laughs> but the feature is that he is a tremendous blocker. He's like a Hall of Fame blocker as a tight end. Like he is really, really good at it. Has been for a long time. That's why he's still employed, right? Not much as a receiver. Musgrave is a decent blocker guy. I got to see in person at the Oregon State Pro Day, but he is big and mobile, right? And they are going to feature him. If you look at the way they drafted, this offense is going to feature condensed sets. It's going to feature two tight ends. And yeah, maybe that will dilute his percentage. And yeah, maybe tight ends, you know, especially rookie tight ends, aren't the greatest producers overall. But are there 31 better tight ends than Musgrave going in, given? His pedigree in the draft, how much they're going to want to feature him, how capable he is in a role that they kind of haven't had. Like that to me feels like, yeah, lower than he should be. It reminds me a lot of, um, who's it, Bellinger, who went to the Giants last year. Oh my God. Did you see the picture of him today? No. Holy cow. Was he just yoked beyond belief? He is, he is the definition of yoked. Like he was. He was a pretty average physical specimen coming out of college. Like he was in shape and good. He's tall. He's pretty quick. Yeah. He is like Conan yoked. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was really surprised. I saw that photo today. It's funny you should mention his name because I was like, I'm what? Happy for him though. He seems like a good dude. He yeah, yeah. nothing for or against him. No, it's just, just like great. it's great for who? him. Yeah. No. And it is. He is. Yeah. He's been working hard. But he uh, he went to the Giants last year, and he was, again, the only game in town, right, for tight end. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, ah, rookie tight end. Blah, blah, blah. But when he was on the field, again, he, big stretch that he got injured on, like a freak accident-type right. play. But um, when he was on the field, like he was a very productive tight end because, yeah. say what you want about rookie tight ends, if they're the only one you can throw to, mm-hmm. they're going to get the ball. Yeah. So, I don't know. Musgrave at 31 seems dumb to me that one seems a little bit more stretched than some of the others for yeah sure. like you can you can sell me on jones and dylan and everything like that but like musgrave's gonna be on every single team i draft just because why not he's a hmm. six six tight end that runs like a fucking deer that i'm getting in the last round why not yeah um all right free agency losses funny you bring up mercedes lewis he is now well, I don't think he's been signed anywhere yet. Not yet. He? No. Not yet. So he's still available out on the open market, but I don't think they're bringing him back just because, again, they invested a lot of tight end. Um, but there's a lot of names uh, that they said so long to, and it's some of them are going to be pretty tough to replace. Yeah, this is, you know, I wrote fueling Jets East because a lot of these <laughs> cast-offs have ended up uh, with Aaron uh, on the Jets, and I understand that, but... Um, Adrian Amos to me is a surprise as a player that's played really well again as of yet we're recording this fairly early but unsigned Mercedes Lewis we mentioned Robert Tanyan uh, switches loyalties and goes to the Bears to be there TE2 um, Aaron Rodgers obviously oh wait hold on TE2 sure for sure yes not my choice that's where he'll be though interesting yeah I don't know yeah he will. We'll, we'll see we'll see in cap yeah. Um, Aaron Rodgers, we've talked about at length, uh, Aaron, uh, Alan Lazard goes with him, uh, to be with the Jets. Um, Jaron Reed, uh, goes back from the Packers and returns to the Seahawks. Um, 
that's a lot. You know, Dean Lowry leaves and goes to the Vikings. So a lot of sort of cross-pollination here in amongst the NFC North. But a big change. Like, those are a lot of – those are some high-profile names that have featured very prominently in the Packers' success for the last while. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like, oh, Aaron left. It's like, Aaron, your number one wide receiver, your top tight end – uh, you know, one of the sort of key cogs, or at least you hope to be the key cogs on an interior defensive line, a guy that I'd say outperformed his contract as a safety when you brought him over from Chicago. Like these are some key players moving on and they've done a lot to replace them. And we'll talk about that, but this is a, a major shift that extends beyond Aaron Rodgers for the Packers. The Amos one in particular was so weird to me because Again, he played almost all their snaps, like 95% snaps. So they're losing a lot of snaps there. A, that's a big thing. Uh, mm-hmm. B, he's very comfortable in the system. He's played in that type of system like almost his entire career. So he knows everything about it. Um, and their option behind him is like Rudy Ford. Like, are we saying that Adrian Amos isn't as good as Rudy Ford? Like, I get it. He's not what he was, but... Come on now. I, we're, I, we're I saying bet they we bring don't want. I I would imagine he is a candidate for that to come back late to kind of skip camp, um, because I don't think it's a statement of no. We think those two players are equal. It is very much a statement from Goody the Packers saying we don't wish to invest at that level in that position. Now again, you wait till you know. Yes, you get to skip camp, but your leverage is also greatly decreased as a player because almost all the chairs are filled. So you either have to snap to a place where there's an injury and that could happen as well, right? Somebody picks him up when somebody gets injured in camp and he's better than that option. But again, you got to learn a new system, new place, or you say, I get to skip camp, but there's not that many chairs left. So they're not going to empty the coffers because there's not that much money left either. So I could see it happening, but I was surprised that that wasn't sort of more of a pro forma. Yeah, you've done well will agree on salary and you can come back. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe they believe in Jonathan Owens. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, also, the Lazard going to the Jets was like the most predictable. Like as soon as it became clear that Rodgers was going there, it was like, okay, well. <laughs> Guess what he wants. Guess what he wants. Tell Lazard and Randall Cobb and, you know, get the, the band traveling back together. cast of characters. Yeah. Uh, in terms of who they did bring back, uh, Aaron Jones is back again for, for 2023. Um, you know, 57.6% of their snaps last year. So it is a very even split. Well, slightly in favor of Jones. Sure. Uh, but a, a pretty pretty healthy split between him and Dylan. And I think that works out well for them because they call different types of stuff with each of them. Um, uh, Yash Nyman. Also brought him back. Uh, Justin Hollins brought him back. Uh, mentioned Rudy Ford. He's back again. Um, other than that, not not anything super impactful. It's a lot of depth pieces. Uh, you know, Eric Wilson's depth linebacker slash special teamer. Like not a, not a whole lot to report. Um, the Jordan Love extension was interesting. Agreed. It allowed Love to bet on himself. Mm-hmm at the cost of also giving the Packers flexibility on their end. Yep. So it it, it kind of works for both sides, but it was fascinating to me because I don't think I've seen in this current era of how the CBA and, and the rookie contract structure work and everything like that. I don't think I've seen that before with the quarterback. 
Now, this was very bird in hand, and there was a lot of reaction immediately of why would he sign this? This is, again, limiting his leverage, and it's undervalued. What it does give him, it does give him two things. It does give him security to not have his first year under center also be his, hey, at the end of this year, you have to decide right now. Like It gives him basically 12 months of breathing room as a new quarterback. At a lower rate than he would get if he signed the full extension, right? What what we would say a market extension, right? But they're not sure. So it gives them, when you talk about giving the Packers flexibility, they get potentially a starting quarterback at a reduced rate with an option to do something that in later years. And for Jordan Loves, it buys him 12 months of breathing room to just try and play quarterback and not be like, whoa. You know, are they or aren't they? Like, I don't want to worry about that. I have a team to lead. You know, I've got to establish myself. So it's like betting on yourself, but also hedging. <laughs> yeah, it's both, really. Yeah. And, and how it really read for me was it's giving him an extra year to get past Correct. the Herbert extension, the Burrow extension. We just saw the Hertz extension, we saw the Lamar extension this wave of like the 2019 and 2020 quarterbacks and maybe even T-Law as well, right? Um, If he gets past all of them and plays well over the next two years, that could be worth a difference of like 10 million, you know? So it is a bet on himself while also getting sort of security. I don't know. It's an interesting deal that I think kind of works for all sides. I've just never seen it before. Uh, it's very abnormal, but also the Packers quarterback situation has been very abnormal in general since the day they took him. So I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then additions. I mentioned Jonathan Owens. They brought him in. He's only at a million dollars. So it's like, is he the starting safety? I don't, I don't know. But I still think they bring Amos back. Um, and then that kind of brings us to the draft. They didn't really do a whole lot in free agency other than and this is largely a product of the cap situation other than just kind of shoring up uh, cap space and, you know, securing a couple restructures to, to just keep the core in place that they could mm-hmm. while working on the Rogers trade so they can open up a bunch of money in the future. Um, they didn't do a whole lot of free agency, but they did probably in both of our opinion, knock the draft out of the park. I thought they did phenomenal in April. Well, they did a lot in the draft and not a lot in the end of free agency and not really a lot in free agency ever. And that's been a Packers thing for a long time. They almost seemed anti free agency. It's we'll take care of our own. We will draft and develop. And, you know, yeah, we'll bring in some free agents, but they won't be key pieces and they won't. We won't be early in the first wave and we won't be emptying the bank. We're going to spend that money internally. And this seems like almost a little bit of a return to that because a couple of years ago they did do that. They made a big splash in free agency and everybody's like, oh, Goody's turned over a new leaf. Oh, with the, <laughs> with the Smith brothers. and mm-hmm. all that. Yeah, yeah. And, and now they've sort of rooted to more Packers business as usual. But in terms of the draft, they had stockpiled picks. And yes, a lot of them are sixth and seventh round picks. But there are a ton of draft picks here and a lot of new talent into an organization that's going to need it. And really when we talk about that, knock the, knock the draft out of the park, it's who they got in the top of this draft. Like if a couple of the guys they got in the bottom third of this draft work out, it's probably going to be pretty good because they start off in round one, the big pick that we've talked about, 13th overall, Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa, who is just a beast physically and gives them another 
very active cog in that defensive line wheel to go thrash people. And that's what they wanted, and that's what he's good at. And again, like you said, people can kind of see this one coming. That's what they need. He's rated there. He's he's going to fit that system and that mentality. Like again, that that seemed like a hand in glove start for them. It was really really good in round two, pick forty two. Talked about Luke Musgrave out of Oregon State to sort of I don't want to say replenish. It's almost rebuild their identity at tight end. Mm-hmm. Right, we're, we're getting rid of Mercedes Lewis. We've we didn't re-sign Tanyan. This is really the Tanyan role, like, plus. It's the first true seam ripper they've had since Finley. Yeah. Way back when, right? It's It's been a while since they've had somebody that talented. Agreed. Great size, great speed. He's going to see a lot of downs on the field, both in single and double tight end sets. Um, and then in round two, one of my favorite picks of the draft uh, for them at 50th overall, Jaden Reed out of Michigan State. Not only a really fun, what I would consider like, mm, eventually wide receiver two, but probably starts off as wide receiver three and special teams threat and mm. can win at all levels of the field. Uh, I thought it was an underrated guy, mostly because of probably all the talent ahead of him. No knock against his stock. Every time I went back to his tape, I sort of found something else. I just really felt like he was one of those mid-ish round receivers went actually maybe even a little bit earlier than I thought he might again, just because there were so many people stacked in front of him. And I thought, oh, that's that's a nice grab. It's a little, I, maybe a touch early, but I don't hate it because again, he's going to contribute in two phases. He can play right away. Really, really like that pick for the Packers. Round three, they come back and get Tucker Craft out of South Dakota State. A massive, again, seam ripping tight end that can get down the field. Not as agile in cutting in terms of routes, but... Good speed, good size, good hands. Um, the two of them on the field at the same time is almost going to make it feel like a four wide receiver set. Yep. And they're going to be able to put those guys in line, make a defense kind of flex to whatever their base look is, whether that's heavy nickel or a true sort of old school 4-3 base, whatever it is, um, and then flex them out into the slots. And then they're going to be like, oh, shit. Yeah, now you're now you're putting some 245-pound Sam linebacker on either Musgrave or Kraft and saying, yeah, and go neither, cover them. <laughs> and neither one of those guys can run, you know, can run to keep up with either one of those tight ends. So it, they are going to be able to use that positionally to really put defenses under stress. They're going to be able to stack them on the same side or staggered. And you're not going to know which one's running the deep route. It's not really going to matter because they're similar physically. Um, That's going to allow them to do some really fun and sneaky alignment. And I fully expect that we're going to see a shift to two and even three tight end sets from the Packers. It's going to that dial is going to get turned more heavily. They're going to go away from, I think, more straight up through wide receiver set stuff and go to more two and even three tight end because now they have this, you know, they have new toys to play with. Round four, pick 116, they go get the edge, Colby Wooden from Auburn, sort of the heavy edge in that system. He was Derek Hall's teammate there. Um, Again, another pounder, another guy they're going to stand out at five and move into three on passing downs and just be the heavy, you know, edge-setting edge in that system. Um, Again, see the player, see the fit, see the role. Yep, okay, that makes sense. Uh, round five, pick 149. Oh, God. Sean Clifford from Penn State. Why? Yeah, this was the first Fucking like, why? Huh, what do you see there? <laughs> like, again, with players that are still on the board, this isn't anti Sean Clifford. This is, it's round five, and there's other talent that you could use at other positions of need. A, it seems early. B, 
yeah, why, why him? Why him? That's yeah. that's the thing. Is like, okay, the quarterback. Okay, I, I get it. Why that one? He's super tough. He's a great leader by all accounts. The, the his Penn State teammates that we talked to at Shrine Bowl, like Juice Scruggs, talked him up. You know, they loved playing with him, for him, under him, whatever. Uh, but in terms of what he brings you as a talent on the field, as not a third QB clip holder smart guy that's going to help get your other players in good positions outside of that not saying he's not good at that sounds like he's actually excellent at that what he delivered in his time at penn state was not what i felt like was commensurate value for where they picked him i think they panicked uh, because in late four that's where aiden o'connell went yeah uh which is still later than i thought o'connell would go uh, and then Tune went early five, DTR went early five, and then what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten picks later is where they took Clifford. I think they panicked because there was a run on like the quote unquote backup developmental quarterback, uh, and it was between him and Jaron Hall. Now I would have taken Hall, me too, <laughs> but I think they they were like we got to get one, and it's like did you? Yeah, <laughs> that did, one. Did you have to get that one? <laughs> and I think that that's one? what it comes down to is yes, you had to get one. And yes, you were probably sad. If if it had been me, I would have been quite sad that both Tune and DTR, both players that I liked a lot, were off the board. I still would have gone Jaron Hall, especially to back up Jordan Love. Like in terms of more similar skill set, that feels like more of a match to me. And I liked I liked Hall's game overall. Um, but yeah, this was the first one where I went, okay, that's that's not great. As a Bears fan, I was celebrating. I was like, great. No problem. Now, if our first problem with the draft is a fifth round pick, that Again, tells you all all you need to know. Like that top section, they really you it. could see where they wanted to go, and they got good players, good fits all the way down the board into the fifth. Um, then they come back in the fifth, and you know, ten picks later, and sort of pull it out of the fire for me. Go get Dontavian Wicks out of Virginia Tech, uh, player I like a lot, um, big, rangy wide receiver. Uh, I shouldn't say big he's just over six foot but one of those guys that, oh, for this class that's pretty big yeah it's true <laughs> uh one of those guys that um in the short to medium game again i can see him being like an automatic backup to romeo dubs just because dubs oh, yeah. has again i saw the fit as soon as they picked him and i went yep that's great uh round six and this is a surprise for a lot of people uh pick 179 they get defensive lineman Carl Brooks out of Bowling Green, who had a great senior bowl. It seemed like a great pre-draft process. I'm not sure if there was something with Brooks in terms of injury or red flag that caused him to drop. But if you told most folks right after the senior bowl that Brooks was going to be available in round six, I think people would have looked at you like you had horns coming out of your head. So it feels like a very good get uh, and a proper place to take a risk on a player that was that talented all the way down the board. Also in round six, pick 207. They go get a kicker, Anders Carlson. Also out of Auburn. And then the round seven runs begins. Four picks in round seven. 232, 235, 242, and 256. Uh, starting off with cornerback Carrington Valentine. Really good size out of Kentucky. Running back Lou Nichols III out of Central Michigan, which is a sort of hometown pick for them almost. Um, safety Anthony Johnson from Iowa State. And then the one that just drove the dagger through my heart. I really, really hoped that Granty Bowes out of Charlotte was going to make it to UDFA and that the Bears were going to go get him. But instead, the Packers pulled the trigger and get what I think is a very talented wide receiver way down the board at 256. There's a lot of Lions fans that just shut this off in disgust at you saying that Central Michigan was a hometown pick for the Packers. 
in terms of NFL, close. Eh, Midwest, it's all the same. <laughs> Not far. We'll look up the mileage between Central Michigan and, and Green Bay, Wisconsin. It ain't far. Yeah, overall, I really was a huge fan of this class. Um, again, for all the reasons we've talked about, Lucas Van Ness was a very necessary pick uh, for their pass rush woes because they they just needed another one. And not only that, but they needed somebody who could really crush the pocket because they tend to prioritize um, power. Power. I was anything. just going to say power. Uh, the Ugh. tight ends are going to be great. Uh, and I think they're going to be great earlier than people expect. Uh, Jaden Reed is, he's not T.Y. Hilton, but he has a very T.Y. Hilton-ish type mm-hmm. of vibe to his game yep. uh, in terms of size, in terms of skill set. Like I think he's, as a wide receiver two for them, uh, fine pick. Again, earlier than I expected him to go, and there were other receivers mm-hmm. that I would have taken before him, but for what they wanted, yeah. the specific skill set they wanted, it makes sense. Um, yeah, I just, I'm a big fan of it. Like, they needed a lot of dudes, and they got a lot of dudes. Like, they filled out the roster because, again, they were running into some cap troubles. Um, they filled out the roster. They got a bunch of depth. They got early contributors. They got long-term contributors. Just It's a, it's a good Good, solid bounce back class for them. And I think it, it gave Jordan Love a lot of things to work with. Um, looking at their undrafted haul, um, they got some really interesting players, uh, uh, in particular, Brenton Cox Jr. from Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people had questions okay, why did he get kicked out of two SEC schools as like a four or five star kid? And he's talented, like, he does have yeah. a lot of talent. Um, from the digging that I did, Never did anything illegal, you know, never did anything like morally objectionable, just had a lot of disagreements with the coaching staffs. And at those schools where there's always a five star behind you, they just said, all right, bye. You know, like he's fine. He's a good kid. Like he's going to be fine. Uh, All I was told was that he really, really, really wanted to win. And that kind of says what needed to be said, but like there was nothing, anything illegal, like character is fine. Um, but I think he's he's got a shot to make the roster. I think he really does. Yeah. Um, Kadeem Telfort from UAB. Uh, we always love it when UAB kids get a chance in the NFL. I think he has a possibility of making uh, the practice squad there, and they do love digging for gold at tackle up in Green Bay. Uh, Jadakiss Bonds from Hampton, all-name team immediately. <laughs> love it. Uh, I didn't get to watch him because it's Hampton, but I just love the name. <laughs> he was one of those small school guys that had buzz. People thought he was draftable uh, in terms of draftable grade. Um, again, they they sort of have a type in this this whole like process. I don't want to say just draft because this is obviously after the draft, but it all sort of rolls into the process of felt like a very Packers draft. Yeah. Right. In the way that they are and a very Packers free agency, not very much in free agency. Ton of picks in the draft at positions that aren't necessarily all that sexy, but really filled in, like you said, holes, needs, built for the future. And UDFA just felt kind of like an extension of that, right? We're going to go for more guys of our type that didn't get picked. Um, you know, these sort of, you know, lower drafted or, or unranked tackles and guards that, you know, were just on the edge. And, oh, guess what? Buckus turns them into starters. Weird. Oh, yeah. And they can play two or three positions. Weird. <laughs> like, just very Packers. Uh, and then Emmanuel Wilson from Fort Valley State. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if both him and Nichols end up on the practice squad. Mm-hmm. And to be perfectly honest, he's he's not that far off. Like, Lou Nichols got drafted, but mm-hmm. like 
if you told me that Emmanuel Wilson got drafted, and right. the Eagles went you to pay, like I would have been like, okay, yeah, fine. Like yeah. totally makes sense. Um, he's going to be on the practice squad, I think. And again, this is also a team that loves digging for gold at running back. Small school kid, very small school kid, but he's got talent. He's got juice, like legitimate NFL type juice. Just didn't really ever play against NFL players at yeah. Fort Valley State. So they're going to bring him into camp, see what he's got. And I, I do think he will be on the practice squad. So overall, um, intriguing UDFA class. I think three of them might make it, which is what you hope for from a UDFA class. And that brings us to the overall report card as well as our uh, projected ceiling and floors for wins here. Both front office and coaching staff on the report card, we just kind of kept it even keel here, A, because there's been a lot of stability, and and B, I thought they navigated this offseason pretty well uh, in terms of, I don't want to say it was like a high-stakes trade for Rodgers, but it kind of was, right? Like, the deal had to get done. There was a huge cap hit at stake if they didn't, yeah. and they got it done. They freed up a lot of money for them in the future. I thought they they drafted well. You know, the coaching staff is has a lot of carryover from and a lot of stability from year to year. Um, I think, you know, maybe you could say it's incomplete because we'll have to see what Jordan Love does. And I think our overall opinion of the front office and our overall opinion of the coaching staff will depend heavily on on how well Jordan Love does. But, you know, maybe we'll readdress that next offseason. As for the offense, uh, you can't say anything but down because Aaron Rodgers isn't there anymore. And even if Jordan Love works out, is he going to be Aaron Rodgers? Probably not. So it's down, but it doesn't mean they're bad. It just means it's an acknowledgement of it's a young quarterback that we don't we don't know yet what he's going to be, and and it's highly likely that he will not be Aaron Rodgers 2.0. If he is Aaron Rodgers 2.0, like I said, the balcony is right there. Balcony is literally <laughs> right there. The door is waiting for me, but yeah. in likelihood, he, he, he won't. No, be. it's a nod to regression. Yes. And if you move on from a Hall of Fame quarterback and don't regress, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, that's extremely rare. This franchise if, has done it before. Yeah, it but. has done it before. If they do it twice after, you know, twice in a row after the first one of the modern era, that would be troubling. Um, it doesn't mean that we think the offense is going to be bad or boring or anything else, it's probably not going to be neither of those things. But there are going to be third downs that have been automatic for the last 15 years that you're not going to see get converted. That's what happens when you shift to a young player, you know, pulling the trigger for your offense. So when we say down, we don't mean awful or moving towards the toilet. We mean a little bit down because you stepped off from a Hall of Fame quarterback. That's what you expect to happen. Yeah. Uh, Defense, though up mainly because we are expecting them to be uh less bogged down by injuries this year at least we you know we hope we hope so right we don't want players to get injured like even like i don't think bears fans want packers players to get injured like these guys like have families to feed we want them to play and and you know get money and get generational wealth and all that kind of stuff we want them to be healthy Mm um you know We just don't want them to be good when they're playing against Chicago. But overall, this defense should be better because Gary, ideally, will be back. The corners will be healthier. You know, maybe Devondre Campbell goes back to being what he was um, a couple years ago when they had an all-pro season and they paid him. Uh, But, you know, you're adding in Van Ness. Like, you're adding in more depth with Wooden and Brooks. Like, if this defense is worse this year than it was last year, not that they were, like, horrible. They were mid. 
But if they're worse, yeah. I would be legitimately stunned because they went through a lot of injury last year and were still mid. They should at least be above average. Yeah, if you add all this talent, especially on the defensive line, and regain some of that healthy form. Like their corners didn't go anywhere. We talked about how yeah. good their corners were on the outside. If you support them with a better pass rush and you can stop the run at even an average rate, like this defense should be better. Yeah, it, it's hard to think they're going to be worse. Uh, and that brings us to ceiling and floor. Um, we're pretty similar on ceiling. I have them at 11, uh, which is, again, an acknowledgement of we don't know what Jordan Love is. Um, and I and I don't think that he's going to be better than Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers, even last year, couldn't pull this team to, to 11 wins. So it's an acknowledgement of realistic expectations for Jordan Love. And I think if they got to 11, that's great. Packers fans would love that. Be really good. That means they made the playoffs and they're back in this thing. And, and, you know, the day is saved. It would be like the same thing that happened with the Seahawks, where it's like they're going in like, I don't know, let's see what Geno's got. All of a sudden, Geno goes on a tear and they make the playoffs. And everybody's like, oh, my God, we're good again. 11 would be awesome. Yeah. That said, if Jordan Love is not good or not even average, yeah. This could be a six win team. Yeah. And I, my, my ceiling is 10 because there's a lot of moving parts, offense and defense. You're, we're expecting, just like we said, the defense to get better. They've added a lot of interesting moving parts on offense to support Jordan Love. But it's all got to work, right? Mm-hmm. He's got to pull it all together. And to say all of it's going to work all at once is unlikely. That typically doesn't happen in the NFL. So that's my acknowledgement at 10. 10 would still be good. Double-digit wins. They could still make the playoffs, probably would make the playoffs in the NFC with 10 wins, uh, depending on where and who they were against. 10 would be solid. Like Packers fans would be like, whew, yeah. we stepped off from a Hall of Fame quarterback and we won 10 games. That would be great. My floor is eight. I feel like I should drop it one to seven because if Jordan Love struggles early enough, and we talked about how that might happen, if they really take a while to get this thing going, fall behind the eight ball in the first half of the season, it, it might be seven. I think I'll adjust mine to seven. I had it at eight. There's a lot of other talent on this team. We talked about some pretty safe strategies. You know, play good defense, uh, you know, stop the run with all your additions and then run the ball really well. Even if they just do that and don't kind of take the ball out of Jordan Love's hands if he's struggling, it feels like seven is seven is reasonable. If all the wheels fall off, yeah, I could see them being really bad, but it feels all the Packers feel to me, and maybe this is just the reflexive Bears fan in me, almost like the Steelers at this point. Like they don't they, do, they can't be awful. They don't do yeah. really bad. Yeah. Right. Like six or seven wins for them is, oh my God, chicken little, the world's ending. That's really bad. Where a lot of other franchises are like seven wins. Oh. Bears are like, that's a Tuesday. That's, for us. Pre- that's pretty good. <laughs> right. So we'll go, I'll go with seven at the bottom, 10 at the top. 10 would be a very successful season for Love and the Packers. And I think Packers fans as well. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, uh, I think a lot of Packers fans are, maybe angrier than they should be or more nervous than they should be. <laughs> I think the comparison to the Tomlin era Steelers is, is a very apt one uh, just because we've, I don't know. 
I don't know, it's been like 35 years since we've seen an actual bad Packers team. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think we're going to get that this year. At least they're not going to get Caleb Williams. That's that's my one that's well, my people, one saving grace. People <laughs> ask me all the time, well, what do you want for Jordan Love? And it's people are focusing, I think, more on what I don't want for Jordan Love. And look, I don't want Jordan Love to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Like, I want him to play very well and have a successful career. I want him to maximize his abilities. And I want that to be about 16th in overall quarterback rank. You want him to be Kirk Cousins-ish. Without the super hot streaks. <laughs> <laughs> so Just you want him to solid be mid. Derek Carr. <laughs> I, 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 Derek Carr, I think, would be apt. Like, start hot, make me really nervous, make me sweat for the first six weeks of the season and be like, oh, my God. And then level out and kind of be like eight and nine. Yeah, like that would be just fine. Have him play well, right? Solidly, not awful. I don't want to see him fall on his face. I don't want to see him get injured. A lot of people say, oh, no, I don't want to be horrible, but I do not want him to be elite. <laughs> Let's be clear. No, and you know what? If he plays 16 years and has a Ryan Fitzpatrick type career and gets all the money, takes care of his family forever and never wins a Super Bowl for Green Bay, that's a win for everybody as far as I'm concerned. Everybody in this room. Everybody in this room. <laughs> Uh, all right, we'll be back tomorrow with the Lions because they were second in the division. Uh, that's a really, really fun episode, mainly because we all expect the Lions to be really good. Uh, they, they're they assembling a, a Star Destroyer up there in, in Detroit. So uh, come back tomorrow for all of that. And then we got the Vikings the day after that. And then the NFC North kind of overall uh, division, division recap. Yeah, division from... 30,000 feet up type episode. So that's coming out on Friday. And then, uh, yeah. What, 12, 24 hours from now, we'll have that out. I'm going to I'm gonna go eat some carbs. I've been drinking whiskey all day. Sorry. <laughs> we'll see you all tomorrow.